0: But I just want to share a few words with you today. I want to thank you once again for, for bearing with me these, these five weeks and now until week six. It's, it really has been a blessing to share this time with all of you. Um, and I hope you've been, been blessed as well. I just want to give a quick recap of where we've gone over these past five weeks. When we've talked about participation trophies. We've looked at, on Palm Sunday, what it meant to participate in preparing Christ for His glory, just like the disciples did. We talked about how glory doesn't happen on accident. It requires something from us to, to prepare for that. Then we looked at the resurrection of Christ and, and how we prepare or how we participate in the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit that's within us. We, we talked about uh, participating in the calling of Christ and, and we talked about the servanthood and, and what it means to have a renewed mind, the mind of Christ. And, and this week I want to end on participating in the gift of of the Spirit. I know we've talked a lot about the Spirit um, just throughout certain messages and and we've touched on it here and there, but I really wanted to take a a whole message to end and just focus on the gift of the Spirit. Uh, We know the gift of the Spirit was precious to Jesus. It was how Jesus did all of His ministry. Um, And if Jesus needed the Spirit, then how much more do we need the Spirit today? But before I jump into that, I, I just wanted to share a, a quick story. Recently, my fiance and I, we made a huge life decision. Uh, we closed on a condo uh, not far from here in, in Lyle, Illinois. And part of that process, first off, was very annoying. I, I did not realize how many times a mortgage company was gonna reach out and ask the same question five times over and over again. Um, it's like they're asking what my name was. You know, it's like, you guys know what my name is. Um, but, one of the limitations we had was that my fiancee lives in, in Dallas right now. And so it was going to be really difficult for her to actually be there at the closing time to sign all the documents. So what we needed was a power of attorney. So we got that, but in order for it to actually put into effect, um, we both needed to sign it ourselves. But we needed two witnesses to sign it as well. So while I was in Dallas at one point, we went to the UPS store. To, for a notary public, and while we were in there, it dawned on us at the counter that we didn't have two witnesses with us, because I couldn't sign it, because I was a part of it, and she couldn't sign it, because she was the one giving uh, the power to me, so we needed two witnesses outside of it, so we're standing at the counter, and we're like, what are we going to do? We need to get this signed today. It's going to stall the whole process. Um, and the guy uh, at the counter, the notary public said, well, I, I can be one of the witnesses for you, even though I'm the notary public, I can do that. And we're like, well, we still need one more to go. So who's that going to be? And it's, it was obvious this guy had been in that situation before. He goes, don't worry about it. And so he literally just asked some random person in the store if they would come over and witness for us. So, this lady comes over and does it, and she just signs the paper, and as she's signing it, she's like, well, you know, what is this for, and we explained it to her, but then Kila and I got in the car afterwards, and we were talking about it, and uh, Kila's like, would you ever do that for somebody, and I was like, yeah, I think I would, you know, she's like, I would not do that unless I fully understood what I was signing. You know, that lady had already signed her name on there, and then we told her, I mean, who knows what that document could have been for? And she just came over with, oh,
1: yeah, yeah, sure.
0: (laughs) But I I really respected how my fiancé was like, I would not sign that document unless I 100% agreed and knew what I was agreeing to. And like always, my wife falls into the biblical standard way better than I do, because... That's exactly what the Bible tells us to do. That's exactly the standard the Bible lays out for us. It has a lot to say about the severity of our oaths and our testimonies. We cannot come into agreement or affirm things without consideration and discernment. You see, our witness and our testimony, it matters. And it can't be used lightly. If we look just within the Ten Commandments, Number nine is, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, of course, on the surface, you know, oh yeah, don't, don't lie. Yes, that, that's absolutely part of it, but there's more to it than just that. You see, the word false, it means something that's empty or without purpose. As in, your witness and your testimony should never be empty. It should be full of truth, full of life. That same word that's used uh, for empty or or for false there is also the same word that's used when it says do not use God's name in vain. As in don't use it without purpose. There should be a purpose in using God's name. But our, our testimony, it matters. It matters. And our words are meant to be full of life and truth. Anything less is actually a form of sinning. It was also Jewish custom that said, At the mouth of two or three witnesses, every matter may be established. You'll know if you've just read the Gospels or some of Paul's letters, that tradition pops up multiple times in the mouth of Jesus and Paul and others. Because that was a Jewish custom. They understood that if a matter was going to be established, two or three witnesses had to be involved in it. And you see, the Pharisees, they actually challenged Jesus based on this principle alone. You see, Jesus was testifying to who he was, and they called him out. And they said, but you're only one witness. And you know, as a good Jew, you know that it takes two or three witnesses to actually establish your testimony, and you're only one. So Jesus responds, and he says this in John 5, 31 and 32. He says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his his testimony about me is true. Jesus goes on to say in verse 36, says, I have testimony that is weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice Nor seen his form. What I so respect is that Jesus says, you know what, fine. He said, we'll just do away with all human testimony. We'll take away my testimony. And then on top of that, he said, even though John the Baptist, even though his testimony about me is true, he said, we'll also push that one to the side. And we'll just take the testimony of heaven. What was the testimony of heaven? It wasn't only the witness of the Father, but it was also, he said, look at the works that the Father gave me to do. He said, these very works as well testify, bear witness to who I am. Well, what were those works? It was the works that Jesus did that established the kingdom of heaven on earth. Those were the works of Jesus. Um, Jesus pointed John towards those works as well. There was a moment in Scripture where if, if any of you have ever struggled with doubt before, let me just listen to this. John the Baptist, the one who prepared the way for Jesus, even him, he doubted if Jesus was the Messiah. He even went through a season of, is this really the one? And what happened was the disciples of John the Baptist, they were seeing Jesus do all these things And they go back and tell John the Baptist he's in prison at the time. They tell him what they've seen. And John says, can you go ask Jesus, is he really the one that we've been waiting for? Or should we expect somebody else? And so John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus. And they ask him the question. And Jesus' response is this. He says, why don't you hang out with me for a day? And just go back and tell John what you see." And you see, it was at that point that blind eyes were opened, deaf ears were opened, uh, the lame were walking, demons were cast out. And then Jesus said, go tell John what you saw. Why didn't Jesus just say, yes? Why didn't he just say, yeah, I'm going to it. Why? Because Jesus said, let's, let's depend on the heavenly witness. Let's look at what heaven says, says about who I am You see, in the the Old Testament, it was understood, the Old Testament prophets understood that these signs would be the signs of the kingdom of God on earth. They knew that this is what the Messiah would do when He came. is these particular miracles and these particular works. And that's why Jesus said, look at the works. Because they testify to who I am. Here's the point is that we need a heavenly witness. We need a heavenly witness. Let me tell you something heaven is not afraid to testify. Heaven is not afraid to testify. Look what Jesus tells his disciples in John 15 26 and 27 before he leaves. He says, When the advocate comes, Whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Now, when you read this, it can seem a little bit split. The Spirit's going to come, and he's going to testify. And then you need to go out, because you've been with me from the beginning, and you need to testify. And it, it can almost feel like the Spirit's like, alright, I'm going to start on this side, and then you guys start over there, and we're going to meet up in the middle somewhere once we've testified. But let me tell you something. That's not what's happening here. This is not a split work. The Spirit is not some rogue agent out there working while we're over here trying to do our thing. No, the Spirit was sent to work with us. Look at what Paul says in Galatians Says so again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you have heard? You see, the Galatians were in this situation where Paul had come and preached the gospel to them, they received Christ, and then after Paul left, some people came in and they began to add things onto the gospel. They, they did not deny Jesus, but they said, yes, you need Jesus, you need all things that Paul said, but you also need to still observe certain works of the law, like food laws and festivals and circumcision. He's, they're like, you still need to observe these things. And so the Galatians got all confused. They're like, well, what do we do? Like, Paul didn't tell us to do those things, but now these people are, and they're making a good argument about it. So Paul has to send this letter, but look at what Paul does. Paul's clarifying the order of events. He's saying, let's think this through for a second. I came to you and I preached the gospel. So you heard my message. Then you believed my message. And then what? You received the Spirit and you saw miracles. See, there was a correlation in Paul's mind that the Spirit testified to the gospel with signs and wonders. When you go back over it, he said, the Spirit did not do those things when you received the works of the law. No, the Spirit did those things when you believed the message that I preached to you. Why? Because the Spirit bears witness with our testimony. Remember, I said this is not a split work. This is not the Spirit doing His thing over here and us doing our thing over here. This is a joint thing. And the Spirit is looking to bear witness with our testimony. Now, I think the question needs to be asked. Why don't we see more miracles? Why don't we see more miracles? Over and over again, Paul said, I preached the gospel. And he said, God confirmed it mightily with signs, wonders, miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit, why don't we see more miracles? Has God changed? Or has our gospel changed? I don't think I have to answer that question. Clearly God has not changed. But is it possible that maybe the gospel that we proclaim may be a little bit different? See, what does the gospel, the typical gospel presentation sound like today? Jesus died on the cross to forgive you your sins. And so you need to receive Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Is that part of the gospel? Absolutely, 100% it is. But I wonder, I wonder, are we missing something? Are we missing something? You see, keep in mind, Jesus was preaching the good news far before he ever went to the cross. Right at the beginning of his ministry, he said he went about preaching the good news. Not only that, he was preaching the good news before he probably even knew he was actually going to die on a cross. The gospel writers put that revelation later in the story. Before Jesus ever tells his disciples, I'm going to go suffer on the cross, he was already preaching the good news. So what is the good news? The good news, as Jesus said, is that the kingdom is here. The rule of God's kingdom is here right now. New creation is accessible right now. So Jesus goes to the cross later. He dies for our sins so that we can get in. That's our cleansing. But here's the thing. With all we say is that you need to be forgiven of your sins, then we have a lot of people who then get into the kingdom And stand there. Because they've been forgiven, but they haven't been told about everything else that comes with it. That is the kingdom of God. You get forgiven, then you get in, and you explore. Because there's so much more to it. Listen, the Spirit is looking to confirm what He hears. Over and over again, you'll see the testimony is given, the gospel is proclaimed, and then the Spirit confirms. So if we preach a gospel that says you're forgiven of sins, then absolutely the Spirit's going to confirm that. But what if we preach a more full gospel? What if we give the Spirit a little bit more to work with? What if we preach the kingdom of God is here right now, and He's provided a way for you to come in? And new creation is here right now. Well, then what happens? The Spirit has a lot to confirm. The Spirit has a lot to get behind and say, all right, let me start showing you what that means. Because look, the Spirit is looking to confirm what He hears. Let's give Him the full picture to work with. Go with me to Romans 8, 14 through 16. Right there, Paul just says it for us. The Spirit bears witness with our spirits. See, it's believed that the language that Paul was, was taking from here, he was, he was in a Greco-Roman society and they had, uh, they had a process for adoption. Uh, they don't, most theologians don't believe that's actually where Paul was pulling from. He wasn't pulling just from the culture, but actually they believe that Paul was alluding to what happened when God brought the people of of Israel, out of Egypt. You see, what happened was God redeemed them out of slavery. He brings them into the wilderness, and then it's in the wilderness that He gives them the law, but it's also there that He proclaims, you are my son, referring to Israel. He proclaims ownership, and He says, I've chosen you, Israel. And so it's believed that Paul is actually taking this imagery and he's applying it in the new way, which is this. Just as God gave the law to Israel, and the law is what made them distinct from all other nations. It was what set them apart. It was a thing that they were able to hold and say, this is how we know we've been chosen by God, by Yahweh, because look at what he gave us. This is what makes us distinct from the rest. In the same way, Paul is saying, you've received the spirit of God. You've received the spirit of God. And this spirit that you possess is the same thing to you today. You are able to look at the spirit that you have and say, this is how I know I belong to God. Because look at what he has given to me. It's why we are able to say, we know that we belong to God. Because look at what He has given to us. This is what we hold. This is what we possess. This is what makes us different than the rest. It's the Spirit of God. Now, what does this actually look like in application? When it says, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit, does that mean that just throughout the day you say, God, do I belong to you? And the Spirit says, yes. And you're like, all right. There it is. Is that what that looks like? I think that Paul tells us what it looks like right at the beginning. He says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And then he actually shows us what that looks like. He says, we cry out, Abba, Father. You see, that confession, that utterance can only come from one place. It can only come from the spirit within. Amen. There's many people that cry out, Lord, Lord. There's many people that say the title God. They may even say creator of heavens and earth. But who cries out, Father? Only a child does. Amen. Only a child cries out, Father. Father. Just like a baby cries out for its mother or father, so our cry testifies to who we belong to. This is why the Spirit testifies with our spirit. Because we're able to say, I know where that utterance comes from. I know where that utterance comes from. I know that it's given me the Spirit to say, you are mine. Which is why you cry out to me. The Spirit also bears witness with our gathering together. Before I jump into this, I just want to share that I've had so many times where I've been alone in my room throughout my walk with Christ. Or I've been alone in my car. I've had very significant encounters with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Encounters that have marked my life. But there's something about the gathering. There's something about when God's people come together. When God's Spirit works, there's something different about it. There's something different about it. You see, because the Spirit bears witness with our gathering together. And I just want to give you a little little foretaste here. At, At the end... At the end today, we're going to spend a little more time in worship. And we're also going to take that time to press into this exact thing right here. It was that we believe the Spirit of God is among us right here, right now. And that He's active. And He's moving and working. And so we're going to close out today in a time of worship, but also in a time of just pressing into the Spirit of God. The reason we're doing that is because we believe the Spirit's here and that He bears witness With our gathering together. I said at the beginning, heaven is not afraid to testify. Heaven is ready to testify. And so this morning, we're going to sit under that testimony. You see, in the Old Testament, the temple was the epicenter of where God did His work from. It was His office, per se. And that's where He worked, He spoke, He healed, He forgave, He did it all from the temple, because that's where His Spirit resided. But the New Testament, the New Testament brings a seismic shift. says that we are now the temple of God. Well, how do we know this? First off, Paul just flat out says it in 1 Corinthians 3.16. He says, you are the temple of God. But, but what if Paul never wrote those words? Would we still be able to discern that? I believe we would have. And this is why. Because down the line in 1 Corinthians, in, in chapter 12, Paul starts to list off all the things that they see happening among their midst. When they gather together. He says, when you gather together, there's the message of knowledge and of wisdom. There's the gift of faith. There is healing. There's miraculous powers. There's prophecy. There's discernment. There's tongues and interpretation. He says, these things are all happening when you gather together. Well, these are reminiscent of what would happen in the temple. See, there's disclosure of divine prerogative. There's healing. There's faith. There's direction. All these things would happen at the temple of God. And now we're seeing very similar things happening among their gathering. Why? Because we are the temple now. And if God did those things in the temple back then, then why would He stop doing them now? So when we gather together, all the blocks come together. And God says, I'm home and now i can do my work here because this is my temple this is where i sit this is where i am enthroned when we get together for worship at the beginning we're saying come on king get on your throne get on your throne the spirit testifies through manifestation look at 1 corinthians 12:7 He says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That word manifestation means disclosure. I like to call it a divine disclosure. What it is, is God saying to each one of you, I'm going to give something that belongs to me so that you can disclose it to the rest. And as you all come together, my full body is there. And as you all give, as you all give, I am there among you in my full power, in my full presence. So each one, to each one of us, a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And see, what begins to happen is as we gather, as we, be, we get, begin to, to work and to move in those manifestations, it's like the Spirit is screaming out. These are my people. These are my people. As prophecy is shared, as the gift of wisdom is shared, as healing is shared, discernment is shared. He's saying these are my people right here. But what does it take? It takes all of us coming together saying, I'm going to be used by God for the common good today. I'm going to be used by God to build up others around me. And I'm going to do it with what God gives me. I'm going to do it with the gift that God gives to me. I'm going to ask you guys to stand right now for the worship team to come up as we move to a close. I realize that some of you right now may be thinking you just listed off a lot of things that I may not have seen before, or I may have never done myself. I've never prophesied. I've never laid hands on the sick and seen them recover. Maybe saying, I've never spoken in tongues. I've never interpreted a tongue before. I just want you to know that's all right, because you're in the right place today. If you may may be saying to yourself right now, I've never done these things before, but I I see them in Scripture. I want you to know that these things are alive and active today. Because the same Spirit that was working in Corinth 2,000 years ago is the same Spirit that is resting upon us at this very moment. And the reason why these gifts are still active today is because these gifts are the things that God has given to us to build us up as the temple of the living God. And so, church, join with me. We are not going to shy away. We are not going to shy away from these things. Just because we may not have done them before, maybe we haven't seen them before, we're not going to shy away. But we're going to press into them. We're going to press in to them. Let me share this with you. This is one of my favorite things in Scripture. In John 1.33. This is John the Baptist testifying. He says, And I myself did not know Him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Do you realize the only thing that God gave to John the Baptist to know Jesus by was by what he would do? He said, This is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And this is the same Jesus that we are calling on today. He is still the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Church, this is what this is going to look like today. The band's going to begin to worship. I'm not going to give a dismissal later on. We're just going to let this thing flow from here on out. And if you feel satisfied and you feel like it's your time to go, maybe that's in three minutes, maybe it's in 30 minutes. I'll just ask you to dismiss yourself as you feel ready to do so. But we're going to have the altars open. And I'm going to invite, there's some of you that, you know right now that you're coming to this altar because you need to receive prayer. Some of you are coming up because you feel a burden right now that you want to be used by God. So you come to the altars. I know there's some of you out there that just need a fresh touch by God. You come to the altars too. Whatever you need, you come to the altars for it. Because God's here today. And heaven's not afraid to testify. But I know there's some of you out there that are like, I need to go up there and pray with people. I need to go up there and pray. And I want to invite you to come up, too. You come up and lay hands on people as well. We're going to keep our mass on up here. And if you are praying for somebody, I would just ask you to ask them if it's okay that you put your hand on them. That's the only instruction I'm going to give about how we're going to proceed from here on forward. But right now, I'm just going to pray and the worship teams are going to begin to, to play. And I'm going to come down here and just begin to make your way forward. And we're just going to let the Spirit of God minister to us today. Okay? Father God, we just thank you right now. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being the advocate. Jesus, we thank you for sending the Spirit to us. And Jesus, right now, we call upon the name. We call upon the name. That you are Jesus, the baptizer and the Holy Spirit. And we ask right now, Jesus, that you would pour your cup out. That you would pour your cup out right now over Hopson Road Community Church, Jesus. That you would pour your spirit out anew and afresh among us. Jesus, I ask that you would fill us up afresh right now, Jesus. That you would pour out the spirit of sonship that fears no more. Jesus, I ask that we would leave this place knowing that we know that we know who we belong to today. Amen. We ask for a fresh kiss from heaven, Jesus. Church, as you're led, I just just ask you right now, begin to make your way up to the altar. If you need to receive prayer, begin to make your way up to the altar. Whatever that is, whatever you are pulling on God for today, just make your way up to the altar right now. Someone may be behind you praying for you. I'm going to come down there and pray, but right now, we're just going to let the Spirit of God minister to us. If you need to spend some time in worship right now, spend some time in worship, come on, let's begin to praise God right now. Let's begin to praise Jesus right now. Oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you right now that your presence is here among us. Jesus, we love you, Jesus. Jesus, we honor you as the King above all kings and the Lord above all. Jesus there is none like you Jesus there is none like you Jesus we thank you that you have marked us with your spirit that says that we belong to you we belong to you Jesus come on lift up a sound of praise right now as we enter into the manifest presence of the King because Jesus is walking among us right now so he would just receive
1: the purifying fire of heaven